Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. Hello and welcome to Zero G on Triple R uh, for another show with all kinds of bits and bobs in here. I'm Megan McHugh. And I'm Bob Jan. <laughs> and today's uh, t- episode title is Which Witch is Witch? And you'll soon see why we have selected that and why Rob has selected that title. And our podcast title is Podolini. Um, so what are we covering today, Rob? Oh, uncovering, I think. <laughs> I've had a, a difficult week. <laughs> so I was puddling around with the streaming service Stan, mm-hmm. not not Netflix, but Stan, mm-hmm. when I happened across a 1960s movie called The Witches. Mm-hmm. And look... <laughs> I thought I'd be safe in assuming it was likely zero-G fodder. And so mm-hmm. like this flossy-headed sort of idea, it's coming from an era of Hammer House of Horror movies, you know, the British genre production house and, and whatnot. So I scheduled it to watch mm-hmm. as a zero-G historical horror movie. And sometimes zero-G review choices are a little wonky, but in for a penny, in for a pound. Okay, so the first wobbly bit was that it was not the 1966 Hammer horror movie of the same name, which came out in 1966 and had a script by Nigel Quatermass Neal. No problem there if it had been that with its content. Write down Zero G's uh, shiversomely sinister escape from the country rural folk horror lane. You know, I mean, really, it wouldn't have been a problem. But no. The movie I watched on Stan was the 1967 Italian anthology movie with multiple directors and produced by none other than Dino De Laurentiis, the entrepreneur behind hundreds of films from the mid-1940s to the early 2000s. So I thought, let's go with it. (laughs) (laughs) That's the can-do attitude that we have here on Zero G. (laughs) Uh, And... It required me to change gears in my head while I was watching the movie from Hammer House of Horror to Art House Movie, <laughs> which I can do. You know, I mean, it's like Melbourne International Film Festival, mm-hmm. you know, where you're just going from one to the other. Yeah. And I thought, why not? And I'm, I'm watching it because the poster, well, you know, the poster led me to think that it was more genre than it was and actually found in it that it was actually a fantasy there were fantasy pieces in it and some okay. surrealism and of course it's from the 60s so it does actually work as zero g folder with the came full circle <laughs> whether or not it's actually a great movie <laughs> <laughs> and here's the thing you know we've talked about anthology movies before or portmanteau movies you know things that you're carrying around with lots of different bits and pieces in it mm-hmm. bit of a pantechnicon we've got all these words with p here um the paraphernalia of an art house movie but mm-hmm. enough of that <laughs> <laughs> okay dino de Laurentiis. now 
you will have run across his name before if you're a genre movie buff, but just to mm-hmm. give you a couple of titles, uh, well, he, he, he was uh, alive from 1919 to 2010, and a fair old chunk of that he was producing movies. Wow. Uh, the 1954 Ulysses with Kirk Douglas, still one of the definitive versions of that. The 56 War and Peace. Uh, speaking of war movies, The Battle of the Bulge, uh, which is not about dieting but about World War II. Mario Brava's Danger Diabolic. Oh. Uh, Roger Vadim's Jane Fonda vehicle Barbarella. Ooh. The 1975 King Kong. <laughs> <laughs> pertains to our recent interests. It does. Uh, Mike Hodges' outrageously fun 1980 Flash Gordon. Mm -hmm. John Mm -hmm. Milius's 1982 Conan the Barbarian. And Red Sonja too, one of the sequels. Uh, David Lynch's 1984 Dune. Sam Raimi's Evil Dead 2. And Ridley Scott's 2001 Hannibal. And I think probably Hannibal Rising as well. So, okay, this 1967 Italian anthology movie is in five segments. And, uh, well, here's the thing. In 1949, Dino De Laurentiis married actress Silvana Mangano, and um, she became his kind of muse. So Um. each five segments of this movie stars her in different roles tale as old as time isn't it <laughs> before you can say charles foster kane <laughs> now why is it called the witches well mm. it's called that because it's about the role of women in society in 1967 so okay. there is a bit of a theme running through that and you know well silvana mangano was um, an italian actress uh, she came out of poverty during world war Two. Mm-hmm. which is not a place, but it is actually a dire recognition of the situation in Italy, both during the war and afterwards, which, of course, was also the birthplace of Italian neorealism cinema. Mm-hmm. So they've got together all these directors who were big at the time, and mm-hmm. they've also worked on um, other films as well, mm-hmm. which had anthology-style settings. Oh, wow. Okay. So they're old. they know what they're doing. They do, they do. Now, interestingly enough, um, Mangano worked on a huge number of other films, including Ulysses, as we've mentioned before. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's a thing. She was uh, Circe or, and also, I think, uh, Penelope in that. She seemed to like dual roles. <laughs> <laughs> and also in 1984, uh, she was playing the Reverend Mother Romalo in Dune. Right. Now, now that's not the uh, Bene Gesserit who administers the, the test to mm-hmm. Paul Atreides on Caladan, but the Reverend Mother, sort of a feral version of those more sophisticated ones who actually lives amongst the Fremen. Right, okay. So there she was showing up in, in that too. Now, okay, so I'm, I've seen this poster. It's got... It's got a gunslinger on it. It's got mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Batman uh, mm-hmm, in cartoon mm-hmm. form. And, yep. And um, I'm watching this movie as it starts. And by this time I'm, I'm aware that it's not the Hammer movie, but I'm going, okay. And there's a funky 60s animated opening montage. That, oh, cool. That's part drawn and part collage. So, Very cool. Yeah. So if you were thinking like Terry Gilliam and Monty Python, that's mm-hmm, where you'd mm-hmm. be. 
And then it keeps going on and on and on. I'm thinking, what is this? Is this a sixth segment to this movie? So maybe they rolled that a little bit too long, but it doesn't matter. It's delightful. And, you know, it's 60s and you're thinking, yeah, all right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we roll into the first segment, which is directed by Lucino Visconti. Mm-hmm. It's called The Witch Burned Alive. And, of course, Visconti is this great neorealist Italian filmmaker. Later on, he did a lot of films about the aristocracy sort of falling mm. apart and becoming redundant and obsolete. And, you know, and of course, he actually was um, a member of the aristocracy known as the mm-hmm. Count Don Lucino Visconti di Modrone. And... Oh. Of course, he did The Leopard in 1963 with Burt Lancaster. Oh. You know, it's an adapt- adaptation of um, Lampedusa's classic novel. And if you've never seen The Leopard, oh, I'll go for it. It is a wonderful film. Uh, I think there's um, there's a, a brilliant restoration of that that you can watch <laughs> on uh, DVD. Uh, the Damned in 1969 and Death in Venice in 71. Yeah, so, you know, just a, a magnificent filmmaker. And in this, he is doing his usual examination of somebody who's a little bit higher up the scale than everyone else, none <laughs> other than Gloria, the famous actress. And she goes to a, an Austrian chalet. So, okay, it's an Italian movie about a star actress going to an Austrian chalet. So, you know, it's it's one of those places that's um, double story, gingerbread on the mm-hmm. outside. Maybe that's the witch's sort of influence. Hey. There, you know. By that I mean all of the carving, the elaborate carving. There's there's no real straight lines in the whole place. So I'm just giving setting the scene here, you know, those roaring fires. There are sword trophies crossed mm-hmm. on the walls, uh, antler trophies. It's a hunting lodge too. You know, that whole thing. You can picture it. You can picture knives out happening in this. Yeah. <laughs> if only it had that chair with all the knives in it and a Daniel Craig in the corner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a piece of furniture. A classic Daniel Craig over there in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Now, uh, Silvana Mangano plays Gloria, the actress. Mm-hmm. And we've also got in there Annie Girardot as Valeria, the uh, the owner of the chalet, and she was one of France's biggest female movie stars ever back in the seventies, in particular, mm-hmm. uh, but later on too. And she's actually um, Girardot's got this sort of every woman quality that that uh, endeared her to audiences. So she wouldn't be playing the glamorous sort of movie star; she'd be the 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 doctor or the scientist or uh, or the policewoman or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So. She's playing opposite, but here she's sort of uh, starstruck and obsessed with uh, Gloria and the fact that she's got her, her friend here who can be shown off to her guests. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, Silvana is really at her most beautiful here. And so you think, oh, okay, what's going to go on here? There's a bit of potential adultery. There's another story underneath it. But the main thing is that they're examining her status as essentially like a commodity, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So she's in communication over the telephone with her husband in New York. And there are some issues that I won't reveal here in case you've not seen this film. <laughs> Spoilers from 1967. <laughs> and her main problem is that she's not, not treated as a human being. Mm. So this is an examination of that part of, of a woman in yeah. society's role. Mm-hmm. And there's this great sequence where she swoons when she's doing a bit of a dance Mm 
Mm-hmm. And it's no wonder because she has some issues and she's in mm-hmm. this elaborate sequined and beaded metallic dress that makes it look a bit like, oh, I don't know, some sort of modern-day Nefertiti, you know, and, and it's yeah. all too much for her and she collapses. And and her the, the women guests in the chalet, they gather around her and they start pulling her to pieces basically. Oh, gosh. Take the hat off, take the wig off, you know, to, right. ostensibly to look after her. And it's like yeah, vultures, okay. vultures picking over a corpse. Uh, and, of course, then the men in the chalet move in as well and they've got other designs mm. upon her, you mm-hmm. know. And it's it's really quite frightening. Mm. And, you know, it's beautifully shot, of course, you know, lots of reflections in photographs, uh, flickering firelight. The men are seen in half shadow, but she herself is sort of cinematically lit as, as the star befits. And and I actually was quite moved by this one. There's one scene where she's getting made up and dressed and she's like being prepared like a knight for battle. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yeah. And or a prize cow at the county fair. Yeah. You know, so it actually is quite a sophisticated piece and totally in tune with Visconti's other movies of that sort Mm -hmm. of thought. So, you know, the more I describe this, the less I think it was actually a bad segment. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, that's probably the easiest and most accessible one to watch. Oh, no. Okay, here we go. Uh, okay, the second one is uh, a very quick one called Civic Spirit by a director called Maro Bolognini. And um, this is, has a, a man who gets hurt in a traffic accident in Rome. Okay. A woman drives by, oh gosh, it's Silvano Mangano in a, oh. <laughs> in a little red go faster car, shades of the, the Italian job. The man who's been run down is an actor called um, Alberto Sordi. Now, mm-hmm. I have actually seen him before a long time ago, 1965 movie called the Ma- Those Magnificent Men in Their Flying Machines, and he plays the uh, Italian entry in the air race. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How's that for a segue? Okay, so this woman, um, she's got a civic duty to, there's no ambulances around. She says, I will take him to the hospital in my car. Right, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He may be concussed. He's bleeding all over the back seat. She's, she drives like a lunatic through the streets yeah. of Rome, past the Colosseum. Yeah. You know, it's like a little bit like um, like Roma. That's that particular scene oh, yeah. around the, you know, the whole thing. Uh, and you think, oh, good for her. But there's a mm. twist in this tale. And actually you wonder if people drive like that in Rome all the time, according to urban legend <laughs> so it's over before you can even think about it this little vignette and it's it i actually enjoyed that one too oh my god that's two that i thought were pretty good <laughs> let's go for the third one well okay uh to introduce introduce some of these let's have a track here this is by piero piccioni and it's from the soundtrack of the witches and it's a go-go girls choir so you know it's 1960s i think this one was actually played over part of the opening titles but i could be wrong there but let's go go with the go go girls in the marmalade forest between the make-believe tree g'day i'm brett mckenzie i played an elf from the rings my dad played ellen dolby king you're listening to zero g three triple r and i want to say my name is figwood the elf you killed my father prepare to die yeah, Piero Piccioni's Go Go Girls Choir <laughs> from the soundtrack of 
The Witches from 1967, Italian anthology movie produced by Dino De Laurentiis, which we find ourselves accidentally reviewing here on Zero G today. <laughs> Rob's gotten into his myth mode early this year. He's yeah. uh, looking at his art house films, his anthologies. It's quite interesting, though. I feel like you've stumbled upon something uh, that ended up being of interest, although we're only two vignettes down. So yeah. how did the rest play out? All right. <laughs> so, okay, we've done The Witch Burned Alive, which was the Visconti entry. And then we did uh, Civic Spirit, which was Mauro Bolognini's little vignette. And now we're up to The Earth Scene from the Moon, which is directed by Pier Paolo Pasolini, with part of it uh, set to music by Ennio Morricone. Oh, love him. Yeah. So Pasolini, it's a name that needs no introduction, but I'll do it anyway. <laughs> Italian film director, writer, poet, actor, journalist, novelist, playwright, and a political figure who ended up being murdered in 1975 on a beach at Ostia, which I actually think is pretty much a Roman way to go when you think about it in the old yeah. classical sense. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so if you want to look that up, it's a tale all in itself and the subject of a documentary at least amongst other things. Terrible tragedy. Now, but to move on to this movie, not lightly brushing that aside, but it's not what we're talking about here. He did movies like The Decameron in 1971 yep. uh, and The Canterbury Tales. Oh, so he likes an epic as well, he does. Yeah. Well, he likes um, these anthologies, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A Thousand and One Nights and possibly most infamously Salo, or the 120 Days of Sodom. Oh, yes, I've, I've heard of this one. Rumours abound about its um, eye-goggling nature, let's just say. Well, you know, it's based on a story by the Marquis de Sade. So you've got enough, enough said. Enough have you seen it, Rob? Yeah, I have, actually. Um, oh. I've seen some dreadful stuff in my time. <laughs> so, I, to be honest, it's hardly the worst thing I've ever watched. <laughs> we did watch Justice League recently, didn't we? Good point, good point. <laughs> okay, so this is, many of the stories in this are actually quite humorous in the anthology, and this one is particularly comedic. So it's basically um, a dad and his son, so Sian uh, Sicatato and uh, Basio. They've just lost the woman in their life, which is to say the father's wife and the mm -hmm. son's mother. Mm -hmm. And it starts out at their graveside, at the sorry, at the graveside of um, the mother, mm -hmm. and they're weeping and carrying on as they do, mm -hmm. <laughs> grieving. Yes. yes, and the graveyard is magically decorated by Pasolini artwork, which is to say sketches and also the most amazing sculptures. You know, like the grave, the tombstones, and and the monuments. Right, right. So there's yeah. these very comic looking things because Pasolini was this fun sort of artist, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and so that's all there. And so you know you're in for something odd. And so of course, as you do, the the, the pair make a vow to find a new woman to be in their life, oh, right oh. there by the graveside. You know, Doesn't waste any time. Out with the old, in with the new. So, you know, the, here is the theme of uh, women's role in society in 1960s. And mm -hmm. although these things don't translate to 
ideal circumstances in the 21st century. They do tell you something about then. And these are also sort of being satirical about it as well. They're not, su- mm. they're not supportive of these roles. I don't feel that at all. So it is actually quite cutting edge, I thought. But it was the 60s, so, you know, uh, feminism was cranking up in another wave. And, um, and I think these are important documents of the, of the time, aspirational if you like. So, again, Silvana Mangano plays the new woman in the, in the lives of these characters. Of and she's actually playing a, a woman who can't hear or speak which means she's probably going to be more amenable to being persuaded by, by this weird couple. How weird are they? Well, <laughs> the father is played by Toto. Now, he has a great, that's his stage name and his, his full name. We're going to have to take a breath for this. <laughs> Antonio Griffo Focas Flavio Angelo Ducas Comnemno Porfirogenito Galidari di Curtis di Bazzanizio. Wow, isn't that great? Wow. <laughs> that's a, now that's a name. So let's just call him Toto. <laughs> <laughs> he was known as the Prince of Laughter in Italy, so he could do it all, you know, everything. Write, poetry, sing, actor, stand-up comedian, everything. Mm. So he was probably one of the most well-known and popular Italian artists of all time. You know, he was the man. Uh, left us in 1967, not as a result of this film, I believe. <laughs> yeah, there's so many movies and uh, television shows and all sorts of things that he worked on that the list would take me longer to recite than I have time for today. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, when um, he, you know, he was so popular that when he died um, from a bunch of heart attacks, mm. he had three funerals because of popular demand. Wow! So he uh, he he practiced the art of jitti, uh, uh, which is um, it's kind of a commedia della art. So whenever you see him on stage or screen, it's always uh, doing this kind of very puppet-like sort of stylized, um, sometimes a bit slapstick uh, humor. Okay. So he, you can actually watch him without dialogue often. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's all there, almost mime-like. Like pantomime Yes, yes, very much so. Um, and in this one, as they're wandering around trying to find the right woman, they mm-hmm. have a number of uh, encounters that makes me think that this could be a tale from the Decameron as well, or, or the Canterbury Tales, you know, <laughs> the the crazed father and son's tale. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that makes this very surreal and therefore very good for Zero G uh, is Pasolini's plasticine palette of colours. Right. And when I say that, you can immediately grasp the idea of what the palette looks like. It's like bright greens and, yeah. and reds and, and blues and and you can tell his um his set design crew must have had a hoot doing this because everything's like painted like that that they've gone through. It's like you can imagine them going through and, and painting things the day before. Right. Yep, that yep, on yep. There. And it's all shot against uh near the seaside actually. Um so you've got this contrast between muddy gravel roads 
and that sort of blue sky that you you get at the yeah. beach. And I know mm-hmm. it's near the beach because I can see some um, uh, some shore markers over some of the buildings that tell the ships where the uh, the shore is and where they are. But anyway, so um, he takes this uh, new woman to the, the home. There's a there's a marriage, and it's a dirty, messy shack. <laughs> As he says, looking around the squalor, it's what you call a panoramic neighbourhood. <laughs> <laughs> and there's so much in this little vignette. Um, you know, they shoot through a door like uh, a John Ford Western or, you know, or indeed Kill Bill, remember the bride? So mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. reminded me of that. And, and, you know, the woman who he marries is called Miss Absurdity. So, you know, you can feel how it all is and there's uh, scams that they run for money and a lot of physical comedy, um, even down to slipping on a banana peel. Oh wow, that old trope! <laughs> that old trope, and and this does actually turn into fantasy as well as as surrealism because um, there's some ghostly elements in it as well. Okay, yeah. this sounds like a real mishmash. It is a strange one, this, and that definitely puts it in zero G territory. So mm-hmm. we're going to play a track here, which is from uh, Toto's album. Oh God. <laughs> La Indemitica Sabilla Principe. And it's just him talking about a statuette. And there is a, there is a mannequin in this story, so I have no idea what he's talking about. Maybe he's talking about winning the Oscar for all I know or something. But, you know, just listen to the way this man talks. This is Jack Dan, author of Bad Medicine for Zero G. The science fiction, fantasy, and historical radio show on 3 Triple R FM. There you go. <laughs> Statuette by Toto. <sighs> so um, I enjoyed that one the most because it's so strange that it, I just thought, yeah, okay, this is this is <laughs> definitely zero G turf here, especially with the uh, the supernatural element mm-hmm, that creeps into mm-hmm. it. And so let's let's walk out of that with the walking theme by Piero Piccioni from the soundtrack of The Witches. I'm Terry Pratchett, the undeservedly famous author of the Discworld novels, so you can believe me when I say that Zero G on three triple R is the finest science fiction and fantasy show this side of the black stump. I also think Dibbler's delicious pork sausages are the finest eating anywhere anywhere in the world, so you know you can trust me on this. Ha 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 with three exclamation marks. <laughs> We've strolled off there, marched <laughs> marched off through the surreal wilderness there mm. with Piero Piccioni's walking theme. <laughs> I, I cannot think of a more apt piece of music for that phrase. Yeah. Mm. Toto marching off there. We are looking at the Italian anthology movie from 1967, The Witches. Mm. Witches on Stan, and it's not to be confused as I initially did (laughs) with the 1966 Hammer House of Horror movie, The Witches. Mm. Or the Roald Dahl Witches. No, no, indeed. That's that's the other one that comes up. All right, so we've looked at three of the short stories in this movie, and now we're up to The Sicilian Bell, and this is by Franco Rossi, uh, an Italian film screenwriter and director, and we know him for an old, now it's old, we can say that, a 1985 TV miniseries called Quo Vardis, or who, who goes there. 
So <laughs> this one is what it says on the tin. Mm-hmm. Uh, once again, the producers, muse and wife, Silvana Mangano, is playing a female character in this film. And she is basically a very violent man's daughter. She's had a, a man make a pass at her. No more than that. A, a very, you know, it could be just a, in fact, I think he just winked at her, essentially, at a party or something. like. No, I, sorry, it was a festival, a religious festival. And let's just say he made promises he did not keep with that wink. And so when she tells her father his name, because he's a local, he goes off and massacres not only that man's family, but everyone connected with him. And this is why it's called Sicilian Bell. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. So I suppose that is a very zero-G sort of story. <laughs> you know, I can almost see this film being made by Quentin Tarantino, actually. Yeah, from the sounds of it. I mean, massacre, you know, yeah. chaos ensues. Yeah, it does. And so we're out of that one. <laughs> <laughs> Into the final piece in the movie, An Evening Like the Others. Now, this is by directed by Vittorio De Sica. So his name will be absolutely familiar to everybody who knows anything about Italian neorealism, particularly Martin Scorsese, mm-hmm. <laughs> who's got a magnificent documentary series about that entire movement in film. Absolute must viewing for film buffs. And, well, you know, you'll know him from Bicycle Thieves, essentially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the one everybody studies in media studies or Mm. film school. Yep. And Yesterday, Today and Tomorrow, amongst other films. You know, these are are ones that um, Mm. the sort of films that um, are what you are meant to give Academy Awards to for best foreign film. (laughs) Or best film. Yes, indeed. Now we can do that. But, yes, the core curriculum for Italian cinema. Yeah. So this one essentially is a fairly simple piece when you lay it out in front of you. Uh, Basically, you've got a guy, an American, who's uh, married to an Italian woman. Um, Mm -hmm. Theirs is a a long-term marriage, and it's grown stale. That's it, basically. And so we get a lot of the internal monologues and thoughts of the woman. Once again, played by <laughs> our old mate, yeah. Silvana Mangano. Yeah, exactly. And the bloke is played by Clint Eastwood. <gasps> there he is. I saw his name on this list and I was like, when is he going to pop up? In the last vignette, of course. Yeah. I remember Clint Eastwood, you know, he did a science fiction film called Firefox once oh. where he um, he plays an American pilot who has to go undercover into the Soviet Union to steal a brand new thought-controlled jet fighter plane oh, <laughs> a little bit okay. odd odd for him for that that role i thought so it's, it's not about him playing an internet web browser no. <laughs> <laughs> so okay it's 1967 so eastwood's done that um uh that series called rawhide over in the states mm-hmm. and if you look at his career arc it's a little bit like the guy in um tarantino's once upon a time in hollywood Right. That's part, okay. partly sort of a pass over that. There's other things too, but, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, so he's gone to Italy to make Westerns like 
a fistful of dollars and, you know, so he's in that whole Sergio Leone upswing and it's really getting to be popular and, you know, so he's got this whole other career. He becomes a massive star over in, in Europe at first and then as it spreads out through the rest of the world. And so he meets um, Dino De Laurentiis in New York and he, he sort of thinks, well, I'm getting a bit tired of playing the Western hero and mm-hmm. and here he is in this strange little performance. And it's quite comic the way he plays it, but basically he's falling asleep all the time while his wife is talking to him. <laughs> you know, oh, so God. Never, never a good thing. Never a good thing. It's always a sign of a relationship problem there. <laughs> and um, so, okay, they've, they've, they've got this film and it's this, this filmic cinematic relationship because in the early stages it's depicted as being all glorious. You know, there's they're wafting through these white sets with mm-hmm. uh, gauze curtains and mm-hmm. magnificent gowns. And, you know, this is an Italian anthology movie you know that the fashions are going to be top notch and they are throughout this and it's like this little um, museum of 1967 fashion where Mm -hmm. everybody dresses to the nines even to get run over in the streets you know (laughs) it's just like that (laughs) so there's there's all kinds of things in this and suddenly i find myself you know in this fantasy as she as she has her fantasy of what the the relationship could be and and where she's trying to make him jealous and everything. And suddenly mm-hmm. we start seeing uh, Diabolik, which is the character we mentioned earlier on um, from the Italian comic book series created by the sisters Angela and Luciana Gisani. And also Mandrake the Magician pops up and Flash Gordon. So there's a oh, here we go. future echo of uh, De Laurentiis's other movies uh, and Sadiq, the Italian crime character, and then Batman. And these are on the poster that I saw. So this was Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. one of the things that led me into think. And also a a moment where Mangano is wearing a costume. How do I describe this? Like a black leather costume with a skull cap. And from the skull cap comes spikes. Right. Okay. And she's holding a gun in that. And I've seen that in so many cinema books. Mm. And here's the movie that it's from. There you go. Maybe you have to be me to get that moment. <laughs> but, you know, here it is. Uh, so, yeah, it's um, a very strange little piece. And at one stage, Eastwood gets up in a black gunslinger's outfit and blazes away at his romantic rivals, real or imagined. And, you know, it's it's all good fun. Mm. But it's got this undercurrent of unease. And uh, and it is a fair commentary on women's role in, roles in society in the 1960s, the housewife mm. and, and that kind of thing. And that was the final vignette in the 1967 film, The Witches, which I've gone on about at great length, and and there you go. What was your take? Your final takeaway? Because you've been on a bit of a roller coaster with those five yeah. vignettes. What uh, What was your key takeaway? I have no idea. <laughs> you know, you're up pushing it uphill anyway with an anthology. Mm. And if I had to mm-hmm. clinically an- analyze that, yeah, it's a good mix of of shorter mm. and longer pieces. Yeah. Um, they're all beautifully filmed, of course, with some of those mm. directors in that mix. And yeah. it's nice to see Toto again, the, comed- the Italian comedian, 
Uh, it's fun to see Clint Eastwood, like baby Clint Eastwood, doing this this role. Um, and actually, Mangano is is excellent in each role that she does too. So it's not just a sort of a a vanity piece for the producer to put his wife in this film. She actually makes a good fistful mm. of dollars of the role throughout of the, of the multi role. So yeah, mm-hmm. you know. So I actually warmed up to this. I don't know if I enjoyed it watching it as much at the time. Right, right. But looking back, you're feeling more warmly towards it. And I feel like I ought to. Because <laughs> <laughs> it is, you know, culture with a capital C, yeah. like I guess is the thing. Is it? What about on the zero G, yeah, nah, maybe scale? All of the above. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, look, what more can you ask for? It's a mix of everything. It's on stand. <laughs> Don't mistake it for the Hammer House of Horror Movie from the same era. Uh, you know, but they actually have quite a few good um, classical art house movies mm-hmm. there because I don't know why. I think that they've just decided that they're going to have a chunk of those there. And it's good. If you've never seen them before, it's great to be able to catch up with them on streaming. No, I really like being able to access some older films or films that were more difficult to get your hands on over time yeah. and now becoming a bit more available across different streaming services. It's really quite good. Mm. All right. We have some thanks to give out. We do. So it is now, of course, May, but you might have remember us spruiking April Amnesty all of last month, which is a really great cause to just support the station because it does run on community dollars and community spirit because we do rely on your help to keep the station independent and keep it going. So thank you so much to everyone who subscribed or donated and totally understand that not everyone is in that position, but for anyone who did call up or got jump onto the website rrr.org, dot au forward slash subscribe or donate and everyone who did that and gave us a little something we really really appreciate it uh rrr forever was the slogan for this year's april amnesty and i think rob and i we definitely keep that slogan in our hearts um every month of the year so of course you can always subscribe and donate all throughout the year so it's not just april amnesty but for those who did good luck because you will be in the running for the april amnesty prizes so May the odds be in your favour. Mm. Even if you are Jedis and can do mind tricks. Exactly. <laughs> Unfair advantage. Yes. But, uh, yes, wrapping up April Amnesty is always um, a bit of a fun time too because then we like being able to give away some of the community prizes and things like that. So thank you very much, everyone. And congratulations are in order to NASA mm. for the first flight of the Ingenuity Mars drone, which was, I won't call call it piggybacked on the Perseverance Mars Rosa, rover, sorry, because it was actually slung underneath. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and and the Perseverance dropped it off when they landed at the Octavia E. Butler landing site in Jezero Crater on February the 18th in 2021, right currently. Uh, and after they deployed that drone, the Perseverance rover drove off to give it safe distance and the little drone took off. It's It's got two counter-rotating propellers, so it's like a helicopter. Leonardo da Vinci would have loved this. Hmm. It's not that far off his own design for a flying helicopter ah. device. Uh, little solar panels on the top above the, um, the, the propellers. And it's about the size of a tissue box. Okay. Uh, yeah. With four legs from it. doesn't have self-writing capability, so if it... <laughs> 
if it uh, all goes into the ground, it's not coming up again. So basically like solar-powered, battery-operated, you know, that sort of thing. And it does its flights independently because, you know, it's just on Mars. It's not like mm-hmm. driving the rover around, which is fairly, you know, it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. hard to do by remote control, but you can do it. It's in flight. Things happen like it's like happening. I don't know what the current distance is from Mars, but somewhere, somewhere up, anywhere up to 19 minutes radio signal delay. So you can't fly something like that. It's got to be programmed in. They've had they've had a couple of successful flights so far, and one of the really cool things about it is that Ingenuity has built into it a piece of fabric from the wing of the 1903 Wright Flyer, the Wright Brothers airplane. Pretty cool. So did so did um, the Apollo Eleven lunar module too. Oh wow! So I just love that. That is just to me. Yeah. That's that's space hipster romance. You know, that's a nice touch. Yeah. We also uh, have to congratulate SpaceX, Elon Musk's mm. company, because they I mean, must we must we <laughs> must we yes we must <laughs> because the uh, the Falcon X recyclable rocket mm-hmm. has carried the first crew up to the International Space Station aboard a mm. recyclable rocket in history. So, Although, wow. you know, you can kind of think of the space shuttle as recyclable in its way. Yeah, but I guess this is totally recyclable yeah. know, as opposed to just bits of it and stuff. So, yeah, uh, safe ride up there. took them 24 hours to get up there because, you know, they mm-hmm. once they get into orbit, they've got to match with the, the space station and so on. So, yeah. yeah, that's the start of a whole new era. The first yeah. flight of a heavier-than-air vehicle that's not rocket-powered on another planet, mm. uh, which makes it sound like there must be something else. So, yeah, there was actually a balloon. Vega 1 spacecraft back in 1985, they had an unpowered balloon flight on Venus. Wow, yeah. okay. And it's not easy to fly fly on Mars because the atmosphere is so thin. Yeah. So yeah. Um, your uh, your propellers you have to have to spin up about five times what you'd mm-hmm. have to do here. Although the gravity is 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 less so, you know, there's compensations and things. But still different really, factors. Really yeah. cool. Keep going back to Mars there. But <laughs> and again, speaking of um SpaceX, the uh, Musk company has been awarded the contract to do the first manned moon lander since the Apollo missions. So, wow. so they're probably going to, uh, as far as I know, they're going to do a modified Starship, which is the big silver spaceship to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's such a classic image, a great stainless steel shining starship, spaceship landing on the moon on its on yeah. its fins. Oh, my God. I feel like they should paint it red with um, mm. with uh, tracking patterns, checker, checkerboard tracking patterns on it, like Tintin's rocket. You know, oh, that's you know, this is so cool. Let's hope it all goes well. Mm-mm. All right, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm really getting excited with this stuff. Space here. nerds rejoice, yeah. but no, it's cool. So much happening. I mean, technology, man. Yeah. Uh, we have also seen the Shang Chi trailer. Yeah, so Marvel's dropping them left and right. We a couple of weeks ago we talked about the new Loki trailer, which looks amazing. The Black Widow trailer, they're trying to get us hyped up for that coming up. And then now Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings has dropped. Master of Kung Fu. <laughs> <laughs> and that was originally created oh way back in 1973. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. is a different stream to the other particular martial arts Marvel character. Um Iron Fist. Yeah. Still got bad memories of Iron Fist. <laughs> yeah. Which actually has this 
white guy who becomes a, a martial arts artist, very much a trope from the 60s and 70s, you know. Uh, but this, here we have an actual Asian character doing Yay! martial arts, so, you know. Uh, and originally they sort of spun off Shang-Chi from Sax Roma's novels about Fu Manchu. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. So they actually did have the sort of connection to that. Marvel lost the comic book rights to that. Mm-hmm. And so now they've recast Shang-Chi in this movie as mm-hmm. the son of the Mandarin, Tony Stark's traditional arch nemesis. Mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm. we didn't get to see the real Mandarin in Iron Man 3, and there are still Iron Man fans out there bleeding about that. You know, <laughs> their, their little arc reactors are pumping out hydraulic fluid in, in anger and that. I'm not one of them because I just loved what they did in that film. Yeah, you've always liked that little twist, haven't I, you? Yeah. yeah, I just I laughed like a drain in the cinema and I kept laughing. <laughs> and would I have liked to have seen the whole Stark arc have that sort of main big bad Mm. Look, that's that's another alternate universe. Yeah, yeah. And I and I do wonder how you get around the whole uh, stereotype sort of cackling Oriental that the Mandarin originally was. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I think Hollywood and movies in general, I think there's still a fair ways to go. But I, for one, am very excited to see another film with this largely Asian cast directed by someone who identifies as Asian. I think, you know, more and more of this, please. And I think if it's done well, especially, very happy to see that as well. So this trailer, I mean, look, I have no bloody idea what the film is going to be about because the trailer was not that forthcoming with plot or much of a a sense of what this will be for someone who's unfamiliar with Shang-Chi, which I am. Uh, But I still am pretty keen to see how it unfolds and to see some cool fighting moves. Nothing wrong with that. And it's got... um... Simi Liu playing Shang-Chi, uh, who's a Canadian actor and stuntman. Uh, so that, that's a good start right there, isn't it, when you think about it, to have a stuntman in the, in the role. He's ready to go. He's got the moves already. Yeah. And also, um, I love this name, Aquafina. <laughs> <laughs> love Aquafina, yes. Which is a stage name for Nora Lum. And she has been a comedian of all of great repute and ill repute too, a rapper <laughs> and all sorts of other things. We've seen her in that other film that we talked about recently, Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah. And she's also was in uh, Ocean's 8. Oh, yeah. And Raya and the Last Dragon. She's in that as well. And, I mean. And Jumanji, the next level. Yeah, she was great in that. Mm. So, yeah, well, she actually, wasn't actually appearing as um, – Raya in The Last Dragon. She was the voice of Sisu. Yes, well, it's all, I mean, she's a title character, is she not? Yeah. Okay, so uh, we've got Tony Leung playing the Mandarin. Oh, my mm-hmm, God. Mm-hmm. You know, is that not the perfect choice of car, of casting? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, they, they, they'll, be, they'll be doing some firm uh, rebooting or working around that, I think, in this. They'll be amazing sorts of stuff going on. And I think they are actually going to address that, the problematical aspects of the Mandarin's comic book character. Because, you know, that was back in the 1960s. We can do better now. Yeah, let's look it in the face. I I like that. I think if they're going to incorporate that, that's a good idea. While also making him an evil... (laughs) An evil genius in his own right. Thank you very much. (laughs) Michelle Yeoh, 
Oh my god! You know how this is. This is going to be so good. Anyway, um, yeah, it was all action. It's all filmed in Australia too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Um, I think they're like sort of uh, Australia is a place to do it safely now. Yeah, I think we're getting a lot more business in that regard, right? Yeah. Film industry wise. Well, Thor: Love and Thunder as well. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I was so stoked here. We're on such a we're having such a, a nerdy day here on Zero G, science fiction, fantasy, and historical radio on three triple R FM. All right. Well, we are going to be coming up to the end of Zero G for the day. It's been a bit yeah. of a, a surreal, madcap ride with this <laughs> focusing, focusing upon an art house film from the nineteen sixties, which fills several briefs of Zero G surrealism. Uh, comedy in a historical sense. Yeah. It's all there in that one. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's a bit like a busman's holiday <laughs> or, a, or a shuttle pilot's one anyway. All right, so in 1967, what else was happening in the world? Well, David Bowie released his self-titled album. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Mm. And so we will go out with that track today and when i say that track <laughs> i mean please mr gravedigger so i'm riffing off the uh uh f- the earth from the moon segment from the uh the witch's film which mm-hmm. starts in a grave yard mm-hmm. and so here's this really bleak monologue from please mr gravedigger about a, a murderer who's watching and plotting to kill the gravedigger. What fun, what joy, please, Mr. Gravedigger. Well, that's about it for Zero G for today. And I'd also like to thank Megan McHugh. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Rob. As usual, I've enjoyed a bit of an unusual show this week, but um, what is, what? I like that we cover a bit of whatever, you know, whatever's out there. There's so much good stuff out there right now. By what standard is any show of Zero G more unusual than another? <laughs> yeah, true. Very true, very true. And a big thank you to Kayla Larson, our podcaster, as usual. Indeed. And uh, Drew Brunatic coming up next with Astral Glamour. And Kayla, of course, is one of the many unsung volunteers that keep Triple R and Zero G chuffing along. And you can be thankful that she's unsung because otherwise I'd have to do that and you just don't want to hear that. <laughs> not, not today. All right, Mr. Bowie and please, Mr. Grave Digger. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.